Carl's Jr.'s new guacamole double cheeseburgers, only 299 bucks. You forgot the decimal? Only 299 bucks! Not decibel, decimal. The guacamole double cheeseburger is only $2.99 at Carl's Jr. Oops. Available for a limited time. Price of participation may vary. Tax not included. And welcome to In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. The music is by GarageBand First Snowfall. Welcome to the show. Good morning, or good afternoon, should I say, and welcome to In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. And um, I'm happy to be back doing this show. And we're back to Crafting Dynamic Dialogue. I apologize for the long hiatus. I've had quite a summer. I'll do that in the announcements at the end. But I wanted to say happy, happy Monday. Today was the first day back from school uh, for my kids and for many other children, I'm sure. And, um, and I know some don't start till even after Labor Day. So, um, but for, for my kids here in North Carolina, it was our, their first day back. I had a quite a very busy summer. I tried to fit in podcasts when I could, but I wasn't able to work on a new one for In the Artist Realm, which I'm glad I'm able to do today. I hope everyone's doing fantastic. The music is by, um, Garage band is called First Snowfall. So I hope everyone's doing magnificent today. Happy, happy Monday. I hope everyone's having a most amazing and blessed one. All right. Now that I've done that, I'm going to, um, uh, as I said, we were, last time we did the show, we started part two of Crafting Great, uh, of, of the book Crafting Dynamic Dialogue. And it's, this is the complete guide to speaking, conversing, arguing, and thinking in fiction from the editors of Writer's Digest. And the forward is by author Cheryl St. John. And we started part two, Crafting Great Dialogue, by Elizabeth Sims. But we didn't finish it. And I'm going to finish up on that today. But I wanted to review a little bit back because it's been a bit. And for those that have not heard the other podcast, which I hope you do, it's chapter six. It's all on in the artist realm. You can find all my podcasts through uh, podbean.com, Spotify, iTunes, and iTunes does play the ads for um, uh, Dynamo ads. So I hope you you will check those out. Excuse me. I had a lot of coffee this morning. I had one cup, but it was a large cup. So my apologies. Okay, now. Let me read a little bit about Elizabeth Sims. It says, Elizabeth Sims is the author of eight successful novels in two, in two, uh, of eight successful novels in two series. The Rita Farmer Mysteries and the Lambda and Goldie Award winning Lillian Bird Crime Novels. She's been published by a major house, Macmillan as well as several smaller presses. Elizabeth writes frequently for Writer's Digest magazine, where she is a contributing editor. Give me one moment here. She is a contributing editor 
her book, You've Got a Book in You, A Stress-Free Guide to Writing the Book of Your Dreams, Writer's Digest Books, received special recognition by NaNoWriMo, National Novel Month, and hundreds of other websites and bloggers. So she's got quite a repertoire here. So let's go back. And we left off with how to tune in and get good. The last part we talked about was, or section, was starting to listen. Or maybe I, I left off there. Starting to listen, sorry. We had uh, discussed the great paradox of dialogue. So now we're going to start with starting to listen. And here we go. Let me play some music to get us started here. Off-Broadway. One moment. It'll just take a minute. I hope everyone again is doing fantastic. And welcome to In the Artist Realm. There we go. Here we go. It's all music by GarageBand. Starting to listen. Real people, real people don't speak words alone. They use tone and cadence to get meaning across. So we're gonna maybe we did this section, but I want to review it. The word oh, for instance, is endlessly flexible, like this. Oh, he grunted. Oh, Casey couldn't believe her luck. Oh. All at once he understood. Oh. You can see the difference on the page, and you can almost hear it. Notice that here we combine the word with punctuation and narrative to add the context to the dialogue and achieve different effects. More on, punctu uh, on, more on punctuation soon. In place, you'll see dialogue that might read awkwardly but comes to magical life in the mouths of actors and actresses, which is true. A second here. All right. And it says, <clears throat> Not long ago when I read a play by the extremely talented Martin McDonough, the beauty queen of Linane, I kept noticing the word so at the end of characters' lines. And I was like, I guess that's an Irishism, Irishism, and it sort of is. But sometimes later I heard myself say so at the end of sentences, sometimes like, I already ate so, which is a trailing off with a precise meaning. So I won't go along to lunch with you guys. And I heard myself saying that, and a bell was ringing in my head, and I remembered those plays where sentences ended in so, and I realized, I do that. It's a modernism. It isn't totally just an Irishism. And I understood another little thing about realistic dialogue there. Tennessee Williams was a master of dialogue. I recommend reading his plays. Here's an excerpt from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Example, Maggie. One of those no-neck monsters hit me with a hot buttered biscuit, so I haven't so I have to change. And she put t and then the t and then a, a apostrophe and then change. And then it says, Water turns off and Brick calls out to her. 
but is still unseen. Brick, what do you say, Maggie? Water was on so loud I couldn't hear you. Well, I just remarked that, I just remarked that one of the no-neck monsters messed up my lovely lace dress, so I got to change. What do you call Gooper's kitties, no-neck monsters? Because they've got no necks. Isn't that a good enough reason? Don't they have any necks? None visible. Their fat little heads are set on their fat little bodies without a lot of connection. That's too bad. Yes, it's too bad because you can't to say you can't wring their necks if they if they've got no necks to wring. Isn't that right, honey? So she's she's saying something, but the way she's uh Tennessee Williams, if you ever read his books, you'll see. William Ing Inge was also pretty good with dialogue. And while I'm on the subject of plays and great dialogue, I must tell you to read Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Edward Albee. Raw, wrenching, startling, it's just terrific. You know that every word you write must serve a purpose, whether to move the action forward or to develop a person. But dialogue, unlike every other aspect of our craft, is an opportunity to do both at the same time. Reading plays really helps you see that. Reading screenplays is also a fun way to learn more about good dialogue. They're available in libraries, in bookstores, and online. So I apologize for the accent. I was just trying to read it the way a Tennessee Williams novel would be read because of the examples they were giving. So I apologize if my accent wasn't very, very good. Um, and here we go to the next one. It was just for the purpose of the dialogue. And here we go to Fifth Avenue Stroll, and we're going to cover how to tune in and get good. How to tune in and get good. People talk for different reasons. This is from the book Crafting Dynamic Dialogue, Chapter 6. We're finishing up the chapter by Elizabeth Sims. People talk for different reasons. They talk in order to communicate neutral information, give warning, demand, complain, manipulate, grieve, process stuff, keep from thinking or feeling, keep from listening, express hurt, Feel silence, declare love, boast, or lie. Here's an example of a miner's pan that has at least one gold nugget in it. This is an exact excerpt from an interview I did while putting together an oral history project for a symphony orchestra I was a member of a few years ago. Wait, what exactly is an oral history? Simply the spoken memories of a person or persons recorded. The recording could stand on its own as an audio version, or it can be transcribed into written form. 
This is a female musician talking, a cellist, in fact. And this is what she says. I remember, I remember Leo Sunny when we were in France on a symphony tour. And we were sitting in this restaurant, a hotel restaurant. You could always count on Leo to have his violin. He would always serenade with his little gypsy songs, just wandering around. Just this little infectious smile who could resist that, just serenading everybody, kind of a little bit out of tune. And then, oh, he would serenade us when we were in the airport, when we were sitting, waiting. He would serenade us at the airport and also hotel lobbies while we were waiting for the luggage to be packed up. Out of sheer nothing else to do, he tried to cheer our spirits up, keep us preoccupied anywhere you could count on it. So then she says, a piece of gold from this excerpt is the phrase, from this excerpt is the phrase, out of sheer nothing else to do. You know, it's so real, so informal. I might someday have a character say, out of sheer nothing else to do or not, if that cellist had written her memories of Leo Sunny, I guarantee you she wouldn't have written. Out of sheer nothing else to do, she would have written something more formal. She'd probably have left it out altogether, which would be a loss, which is why oral histories are so rich. Another piece of gold in here is kind of a little bit out of time. Uh, no, kind of a little bit out of tune. Informal, kind of funny, totally real. If you ever have the chance to do an oral history project, jump at it. If you go and ask people questions and let them talk into your microphone and you transcribe it, you will learn tons about natural speech. Unfortunately, while speech-to-text programs are freeing writers from the task of transcribing, writers for, uh, form the task of transcribing. The same programs are robbing writers of the highly educational duty of transcribing. Okay, let's go see. Okay. here. Sorry, I lost my place here. The same programs are robbing writers of the highly educational duty of transcribing. If you're doing a nonfiction book, cause book, if you're doing a nonfiction book, consider recording some interviews for it. You can even interview yourself. You'll get real words you can use. As you develop your ear and your eye for natural speech, you'll sort through the gravel and you'll immediately pick out the gold and you'll use it. Now, when I say use it, I don't necessarily mean insert it into your fiction or nonfiction word for word, though you could, depending on your needs, on your needs, sorry. What I mean is to use it to inform yourself as to how people talk. Read oral histories when you can. I recommend Stud Turkle's Working. Okay. 
which I'm not sure is still in print. But that but that one is really good for developing your ear. There's another one I have on my shelf called The Life Stories of Un Undistinguished Americans, edited by Hamilton by Hamilton Holt, which is filled with compelling examples. I'd also recommend reading 911 transcripts. You can handle it emotionally. You can find these online. Just Google 911 transcripts or Google some famous murder case that had a 911 call. And you'll see how people talk under life and death stress. In some of them, the emotion comes through and in some it doesn't. As a writer, you should also develop sensitivity to ambient speech, which is a speech that goes on around you, not necessarily involving you. How exactly do you develop sensitivity to ambient speech? So ambient speech, sorry. So those are the examples for that section. And now we're going to move on to eavesdrop. And the last section we'll do is what, what does vernacular mean? Okay, and we'll be right back with eavesdrop. This is In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein, covering the book Crafting Dynamic Dialogue, The Complete Guide to Speaking, Conversing, Arguing, and Thinking in Fiction, Chapter 6 by author Elizabeth Sims. And we're back. Eavesdrop. It's simple. Watch out for opportunities, she says. Listen, make notes, look for context. So the four things about eavesdropping is watch out for opportunities, listen, make notes, and look for context. So we'll begin. First, be very aware of your environment, not merely as it relates to you when something interesting starts to happen. Don't turn away out of politeness. Get closer. Be a good witness. Next, tune in to the speech around you and simply listen. Really listen. Coffee shops are the cliche place to eavesdrop. Excuse me, but there's good reason for it. Often, two people who haven't seen each other in a long time meet at a coffee shop and talk their heads off or two people with something important to discuss will go to a coffee shop. Give me a second here. Okay. For about a year, I did a lot of writing at a particular Starbucks in my town. Once in a while, I would see a certain type of couple, a young man sitting drinking coffee with a much older woman. Their conversations were quiet and exceptionally intense. And I saw this over and over with a different young guy and older woman every time. And I started to wonder about it. I started to quietly step stealthily eavesdrop. I started to look at the bigger picture and I realized that the coffee shop happened to be a few doors down from an armed forces recruitment center. And I realized that these young men and their mothers had just been to the recruitment center and they came out and saw the Starbucks and decided to come here and talk it over.
she she continues and the faces i saw and the conversations i overheard were too intimate to recount here but they informed me as a writer i haven't yet used a conversation like that in one of my books but all of it's all of it is inside me somewhere it adds to my experience as a person and as a writer being a good listener, being a sponge will help you tremendous, tremendously as a writer too. Practicing, practicing, being sense, practicing being sensitive to the human interactions around you is what you need to do. Third, make notes. This is, this is huge. How many times have you heard something imperishable, but when it came time to recount it, all you could do was weekly paraphrase. Keep paper and pen handy at all times. It's tremendously helpful to scribble down the pieces of dialogue you hear. Fourth, look at the bigger picture. You want to gain context. Let yourself draw common sense in inferences. The mother look at her. She's scared but she knows the army might be the best place for this kid. Why? Maybe because he's got lousy posture and pot belly and this town has a 25% unemployment rate might be the best thing. And that could be a story idea right there. Reality TV is good for learning dialogue if you can stand it. I got a good line from a reality type program on bad drivers. When my husband George is in the car, he becomes very argumental. Well, you can't just hear her talking about her kids and the new Diamonique anniversary van that she guilt-tripped George into buying her last month. Can't you imagine her throwing together a tuna casserole while talking to her sister on the phone about the sister's latest bout with Crohn's disease? Okay, and then it goes on. Documentaries are good too. The ones where ordinary people are allowed to talk at length. I'm a fan of Michael Apatid's social documentary series, 7-Up, 14-Up, etc. As you listen to conversations, you'll realize that dialogue consists of two things. Content, that is the words they're using, and delivery. Here is a key point for authors. One is as important as the other. As you listen, focus on how they're saying it. Developing your ear for actual speech will let you use the vernacular for your own purposes. And now we move on to the, what does vernacular mean? Here we go. Okay, so let's go to the vernacular. And that was Curtain Call Long in GarageBand. Simply the everyday speech of a region or a group. My neighbor told me the other day that he had once again, with the greatest determination, picked up The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. He was going to read it if it killed him. 
Why was he having such a hard time with it? You know, the dialect, of course, Twain was totally faithful to the regional vernacular and dialects, both white and black of the Old South, and it requires a bit of work to make your way through it. Once you get it, though, you get it and you enjoy it. And an example here is Huck, does you reckon we's gone to run across any more kings and this trip? No, I says, I reckon not. And I'm just reading from the book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. That's the vernacular they use in that, the type of, of language in that region. Today's readers don't have much patience for dialect. So my baseline advice is minimize it if you need to use it at all. Furthermore, readers are extremely sensitive to stereotyping. So this is a tricky area for authors. You decide, if you do decide to use dialect, sprinkle little bits of it here and there to suggest it and let the reader use her imagination to fill in the picture. Uh, here's our Cockney friend to illustrate. Glad to help, Governor. It's the first house on the right. Versus glad to help, Governor. It's the first house on the right. So it, it it's written in different forms. So you have to really pay attention. Cockney is a variation of British English. The second example is actually more accurate than the first, but it gets to be a little much after a while. Here's an example of a common American American accent. Elizabeth, your car has to be moved. You can't park on the street overnight. Okay. This example. Give me a second here. It says that example has two words that were changed to indicate O. Oh, a Brooklyn or a Boston accent, I guess. You could probably get away with just one and still be successful. Use your best judgment and remember, less is better when it comes to accents and dialogue. And dialect, sorry. Your chief goal as a writer of dialogue is to absorb the way people talk and make it your servant or make it your own. Meaning like your own, uh, make it your own way of writing. I'm just reading what she said here in this chapter but make it your own i'll just say that and and try to pay attention to the dialect or the dialogue i tend to just focus on normal conversations uh regular conversations like with people that you have that's one of the best advices like try to pay attention to what they're saying kind of like what he she she talked about listening in on the on the mother and the, the son and she got a few things notes and that she was able to use it's up to you but that's just an example of what elizabeth sims says in the chapter chapter six the source of great dialogue in the book crafting dynamic dialogue the complete guide to speaking conversing arguing and thinking in fiction by the authors or writers of writers digest so that was a book given to me by my mother-in-law and father-in-law, my mom and dad, Kathy and Dale Stein. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was uh, given to me one Christmas with another book on a thesaurus that was good. That is good for writing. So very grateful. Um, but now, 
We've covered chapter, the rest of chapter six. I will have a, another uh, chapter seven. I'm going to try to do another show. I want to say Wednesday or Thursday to cover keys to great dialogue. And then I'm hoping to, the next show will be on my excerpts for my book and try to bring some artists and authors to the show to come do interviews. So I'm hoping to get all that done uh, this month and early next month. I will have the newsletter for In the Artist Realm, which I'm very excited to bring you. And we'll be right back with the end of the show for today in just a moment. We'll be back. We'll be right back with In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein, covering Chapter 6 of Crafting Dynamic Dialogue, a complete guide to speaking, conversing, arguing, and thinking in fiction. We'll be back with some announcements. And welcome back. And now it's time for some announcements. I'm really excited because uh, the announcements I have, I hope that you like. First, a big shout out to all of you. Thank you for tuning in here in the artist realm. And I want to say that I'm really grateful for everyone that uh, listens into the show. Thank you. And uh, this was supposed to <laughs> I know, right? But anyway, um, I wanted to say, uh, first and foremost, thank you for tuning in to In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein through Podbean.com. Um, I have the announcements are that I'm working on a newsletter for In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. I'm hoping to do more shows this week uh, to bring you uh, Chapter 7 of Crafting Dynamic Dialogue. My author news, I, I will be discussing the excerpts for Battered Mind, which is my book coming out next year, February, uh, hopefully the end of this year, but early February. I'm really excited to bring you more news on that. I also want to talk to you more about self-publishing um, in later weeks and bring you more artists to come to the show. So that's the goal and bring authors and editors alike. And I hope that you'll tune in to In the Artist Realm and, and pay attention to the new announcements. But for now, I hope you enjoyed Chapter 6 of Crafting Dynamic Dialogue. Um, the Complete Guide to... Sorry. The Complete Guide to Speaking, Conversing, Arguing, and Thinking in Fiction from the Editors of Writer's Digest, the forward by Cheryl St. John. So I hope everyone has a most blessed Monday. Today was the first day of school for my children. It's been a busy, busy, productive day and week, I hope. And I hope everyone has a fantastic, awesome week. Make it uh, amazing. And uh, and uh, I hope everyone has a blessed one. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to uh, In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein through podbean.com. There's crowdfunding. There's ways to support the podcast and also, we have Dynamo ads through iTunes, or I have Dynamo ads through iTunes. You can download the episodes. I'll give you a shout out. I appreciate all the downloads. And also, leave some reviews for the podcast. I would appreciate it. Have a great one. 
Uh, and I hope to talk to you th again this week for Chapter 7 of Crafting Dynamic Dialogue, The Complete Guide to Speaking, Conversing, Arguing, and Thinking in Fiction. We finished Chapter 6 by author Elizabeth Sims. We're moving on to Chapter 7, Keys to Great Dialogue by Jeff Gurkey. So be paying attention to that and hope to talk to you guys soon. And for now, I leave you with the, let's see here. Uh, what is it? First Snowfall through GarageBand. Have a great one. This has been In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Have a great day. We'll be back with more In the Artist Realm this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. All music provided by GarageBand. This has been In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Join us again. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.